Well, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 today, and as we begin to look at God's Word together at this time, any elementary kids who are participating in children's worship are invited to gather out in the foyer and go with Mr. David and children's ministry leaders to that time of worship together. But we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today, Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. And before we read that text together, let me just say thank you for being here today. Thank you for, for gathering in person with other brothers and sisters in Christ, with a faith family to worship the living God, to sing out His praises, to encourage one another in the faith, and to open up His Word. What we're doing here matters. It's significant because God has called us into this. He has called us into community. He's called us to be part of something pretty special, rather special, something unlike anything else in all of the world. And it's the church. It's far from perfect, not saying that. Certainly, we we know it's not perfect. We're not perfect, but Jesus calls it His body and His bride. You see, the church's purpose isn't to entertain crowds or to build impressive structures or to conquer the world, but to glorify God by becoming a Christ-centered community of folks from all walks of life, distinct from but attractive to the world. And this only happens by the transformative power of God's saving grace. It's not an organization we build, it's a people that we become as we live out the calling we have received. That's the way that Paul says it in our text for today. The calling you have received by God. You see, for Paul, theology precedes ethics. Doctrine comes before duty, not in an ivory tower academic sort of way, but in a real life sort of way. Right? What, what I believe determines what I do. Who I am informs how I live. My, my presence on the team moves me to play for the team. You see, Paul spent the first three chapters of this letter that we've been walking through week by week. He spent the first three chapters, one, two, and three of Ephesians, describing God's call, God's choosing, God's adopting, God's rescuing, reconciling love for us. And now, now in chapter four and following, he's going to begin telling us how to live as the loved ones. Said another way, the indicative precedes the imperative. Meaning, what God has done should determine what we do. Not to earn God's love, but because of His great love. That's the tone of the gospel. That's that's the posture of our text. That's the posture of this letter. And so let's let's hear it. Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As you find your place there, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 4. 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble 
and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Would you pause with me for prayer? No, God, this is your word. It is from you. And Lord, we want to hear from you. Lead us now. Speak to us now. The preaching of your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so after only one imperative in three chapters, here comes the commands. But they're not burdensome. Don't, don't hear them that way. This is not a list of rules to gain entrance. No, these are instructions for insiders on how to experience genuine community with one another as fellow recipients of God's saving grace. In other words, this is what it looks like to allow the gospel to permeate all of my life. Sort of reminds me of of pool rules. Wait 30 minutes after eating before you swim, right? Walk on the wet concrete. Only dive in deep water. Don't dunk others under the water. Respect and share with others. Have fun, right? Guidelines meant to, to help foster a good time for everyone at the pool. And likewise, Paul's telling, telling the church how to live with each other in ways that Reflect the incredible unity that God's already given to us in Jesus Christ. You see, our our shared position in Christ enables unity in the church. Our shared position in Christ enables unity in the church among God's people. The first week I came to Meadowbrook, I don't think I'll ever forget this. The first week I ever came here, Ed Cleveland announced his resignation as the minister of music. You folks that have been here a number of years, remember this. You, you know the Clevelands. Ed had been here more than 20 years. I, I didn't know Ed at the time. So I, I don't think I'm the reason that he left. But sure enough, right, this first day I'm here, the first Sunday I come, he announces that he's, he's, he's leaving. And a few weeks later, some of you, if you were here then, you'll remember this. A few weeks later, the, the music style dramatically uh, shifted a bit, and a congregation normally known for warmth and unity suddenly became a bit testy and tense. You old-time Meadowbrookers, you, you remember that? Shocking, I, I know. And I didn't initiate that change either, by the way. Those that don't know, I was brand new as the youth minister here at the church. But if you've been in the church for very, very long, whether this one or another one, then you've probably experience something like this. You, you've had a similar experience where there was some sort of disruption or change in the church that was difficult. It was difficult because it was different from what we were used to, but praise God, He held the church together. He's held the church together, and here we are. You see, it's good and it's natural to hold stylistic preferences and differences. There's nothing wrong with that, but our community isn't built on those. We know this. Our, our unity isn't built on shared interests or preferences, 
For those are far too shallow to fasten together such different folks. It's built on Christ. Our community is built on our shared identity in Jesus Christ. As recipients of God's grace, we belong to Christ and to one another. Paul's saying we should live like we belong to Christ and the church. Should live like we belong to Christ and his people and his church. Since you belong to Christ, live this way. Since you're part of the one new humanity, chapter 2, verse 15, made up of former enemies, live this way. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, the verb here is peripateo, meaning to walk. It's used eight times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, referring to one's conduct, his, his lifestyle, the, the way he or she lives. Paul says, you used to live in your sins. That's where you walked. Now you're in Christ. Live like you're in Christ. Walk in his way. Do it all the time. Live and walk as a citizen of Christ's kingdom, a child who's been adopted by the Heavenly Father, a member of God's household. When Paul says the calling you have received, he's not thinking about a special calling some Christians receive beyond that of ordinary believers. No, he's talking about the call to salvation. He's talking about the call by God to, to, to know and to follow Christ, to experience the joy of forgiveness of sins, the call to receive God's gift of forgiveness and to follow Jesus. Let the weight of that sink in for just a moment. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, he writes, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Like, enough said already. Come on, Paul, what do you, what do you mean? A life worthy of God's call. You've just told us this whole thing is by God's grace, that we were dead in our sins. Like the calling is, is too high. And if we've forgotten what that is, just spend a little time in chapter 1 again. This is too high. How could I ever possibly live up to this? And I can't. Not on my own. And you aren't. Not yet. You see, my position exceeds my practice. But the Lord's working on me and in me to mold me together with you to become the people that God has already declared us to be. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22, And in Christ you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We're under construction. We're work. In progress, he's transforming us. God is transforming us. He's constructing us into the people and the community that he's already saved us to be. We belong to Christ. We're part of his church. The privilege over the last few days to spend uh, some time with a couple of our seniors, a couple of our super senior adults, and uh, in hearing from one of them, one gentleman was recounting to me uh, 
about experiences of his life and particularly talking about his career and how he had received uh, some promotions and been asked to take on different jobs over the year within a particular company and how he was told upon one of those to dress in a certain way because that was fitting for that position. Not to wear short sleeves, to wear long sleeves, to dress in a certain way because of the identity that he'd been given. It wasn't based on dress, but he was called to live in a certain way, to act in a certain way, to conduct himself in a way that's fitting for the position that he holds. That's similar to what Paul is saying here. I also had the privilege this week of sharing some time with another gentleman whose picture, I think, is on the screen. A few of you may recognize this guy. Most of you probably uh, not, but this is Mr. Copeland Pace. He's not been here in a number of years, not been able to be here in a number of years, but two days ago, one day after this picture was taken, he turned 105 years old. He's a member of our faith family. He knows the Lord. He's old enough to be my great-grandfather. He's old enough to have been retired for more than the years of my life. But he's my brother in Christ. It's part of the family. It's part of the community of believers. Friends, we're called to, to know and to love each other and to lean on each other and to encourage one another in that way. We're, we're part of something significant. We're part of Christ's church. So let's live Friends, let's live like we belong to Christ and His church, which according to the word means considering others before self. What does it mean? It means considering others before self. So Paul unpacks this a bit in verses 2 and 3. He begins describing what it looks like to live a life worthy of God's call. And he says, he says it looks like humility and gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. In our me-first world, humility isn't really a virtue. It's not considered a, a virtue. Not very often. In fact, to be completely humble and gentle may cost you. It, it may cost you a position on the team. It may cost you a promotion in the workplace. It's counterculture. It's not highly valued in our day, but it carried particularly negative connotations in Paul's day in the first century world. It was used for slaves and servants. Those are the ones that were humble. But also Jesus and his followers. It implies putting others first, living for the good of others. Its essence is captured in Philippians 2, where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. You see, those who are humble and gentle recognize they need help. They need God's help. That's a starting point. They're not overly impressed by a sense of their own self-importance, but instead they are kind and gracious to others. Tim Keller writes, he says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Living like we belong to Christ and his church means considering others before self and lovingly putting up with each other's foibles. 
lovingly putting up with each other's foibles. That's what it means to be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's how he says it. It means that we are confident that Christ has indeed broken down the barriers, that he has indeed destroyed the dividing walls of hostility, as Paul says it, so that what was considered personally intolerable at one time, and to be honest, flat out annoying at times, is lovingly endured for the sake of Christian unity. That's the image here. To to lovingly put up with each other's foibles means that we not only tolerate one another's weaknesses and eccentricities, but that we do it with a care, concern, and love that cannot easily be broken. Because these are our people. Members of the family, fellow recipients of God's saving grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like the Lord is is using our time in Ephesians in, in my heart. He's been working on my heart. He's been using our time in this letter to foster a deeper love for you, church. Don't take that the wrong way. I love you, church, as I told you a couple weeks ago. I love, but through time and the word, the spirit is leading me. I feel like this is one of the things he's been impressing upon my heart is a deeper love for God's people who are part of a community of believers. Doug Webster helpfully reflects on this. He says, Paul saw the community first and then the individual. He had a high view of the church, God's new society, tasked with the responsibility of administering the mystery of God's grace and making known the manifold wisdom of God. He writes, Paul frames everything in terms of this new society, the cross-generational, cross-cultural community in Christ, Marked by the cross. Paul knew nothing of a secret, individualized faith. He says, following Jesus without being in the church is like a soccer player without a team, an actor without an audience, a symphony conductor without an orchestra, a teacher without students. You get the point. We belong to Christ and his church. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help but think of times in my own life where I wasn't especially connected and plugged into a community, a local community of believers. I thought about my college years where I was in Bible studies, where I was serving in different ways, where I was even studying ministry. But I wasn't all that invested in a local church. All that to say some of you are soon to be in those years. Plug into a community of believers. Contribute, grow, serve, experience community in Jesus Christ. And may our time in the Word, may our time in God's Word lead us to love our Savior's bride. You see, the model for such love is none other than God Himself. None other than the one who is described in the Bible as compassionate and gracious This is how he's described again and again and again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love or steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love for his people. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You see, if that is who he is, if that is who God is, and if that is how he has, does, 
and will continue to regard me, how could I not consider my sister before self? How could I not lovingly put up with my brother's foibles? Church, we're to be zealously maintaining our spirit-given unity. That's the instruction here in Ephesians chapter 4. Zealously maintaining our spirit-given unity. Notice that Paul doesn't tell us to create unity, but to keep it. God creates it. He unites us. But we're to make every effort to maintain it. Not uniformity, but unity. Not sameness, but unity. Which means when the going gets tough, we don't bail on one another. We don't divide over personalities or politics or pandemics. For we are fastened together by the peace of Jesus Christ. A bond that cannot be broken. Friends, our shared position in Christ enables unity in the church. We should live like we belong to Christ and His church, considering others before self, lovingly putting up with each other's foibles, and zealously maintaining our spirit-given unity. But you see, we'll never be able to do this so long as we're striving to do it on our own. We can't do it on our own, because left to myself, I, I think too much of self. We need the Lord for this, and we pray for this. Let's pray for rich community and deep unity in Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for it. He prayed that for us, asking the Father to make us one, just as He and the Father are one. You see, God's nature provides the theological basis for our unity. God's nature, who He is, provides the theological basis for our unity. Where where do we see the virtues listed here? Perfectly modeled for us. In Jesus. In Jesus, the one who humbled himself. Philippians 2, verse 8. The one who is gentle and humble in heart. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. The one who displayed immense patience with Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. The, the one who demonstrated God's love. By dying for sinners like us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and the one who is our peace, Ephesians 2, 14. See, God's nature provides the theological basis for our unity, for who is God? He is three in one. He is Father, Spirit, and Son, distinct persons, and yet one God. In the final three verses of this text, verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul may be... He may be borrowing language from an early Christian creed, giving a sevenfold repetition of the number one, emphasizing the importance of unity, highlighting the one spirit, the one Lord, and one Father to, to bring to the fore God's Trinitarian nature as the theological basis for our unity as believers in Him. In other words, since our God is one, may, be, may we be one. God's nature provides the theological basis for our unity because we are members of one body. We're members of one body. And that one body is the one new humanity for which Jesus died. Chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, we practice humility, gentleness, patience, and love with one another. We are members of one body housing the same spirit. 
housing the same spirit. What spirit? God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. We are members of His body. We're housing the same spirit, clinging to shared hope. We have a shared hope, the same hope. All of these things that Paul is listing here, these are the theological foundation for our striving to maintain unity in the body of Christ. We cling to shared hope. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, verse 4. It is the hope we have for the coming ages, chapter 2, verse 7, where God will show us the incomparable riches of His grace. We have hope, the hope of eternal life, of eternal life with the Lord. We are members of one body, housing the same spirit, clinging to shared hope, serving the only Lord. Serving the only Lord. There's only one Lord, and it's not Caesar. What a radical thing to say in Paul's day. It's not Caesar, but Yahweh. We now know him as Jesus Christ, and he is our Lord. Chapter 3, verse 11. We serve the same Lord, believing the same gospel. Believe in the same gospel. There is one faith, verse 5. And in this context, Paul is probably referring to the body of doctrine or the truth, the, the one true faith that all Christians believe, meaning the content of our faith, which is elsewhere described in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, as the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So brothers and sisters, Members of the family, recipients of God's saving grace. We are members of one body. We are housing the same spirit. We are clinging to shared hope. We are serving the only Lord, believing the same gospel, trusting the Savior. Trusting the Savior. The only one. The all-sufficient one. Expressed, our trust expressed through one baptism. An outward symbol signifying conversion. A public Profession of faith in the Christ who has made us alive even when we were dead in our transgressions. Chapter 2, verse 5. So we are, we are members of one body. We are housing the same spirit. We are clinging to shared hope. We are serving the only Lord, believing the same gospel, trusting the Savior under the sovereign rule of God our Father. Under the sovereign rule, rule of God our Father. That's who He is. The God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 6, a way of stating God's supremacy and His sovereignty as the one who creates, sustains, rules, reigns, wills, and fulfills His purposes in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is who God is. This is who He is. The God and Father who reigns over all and who invites all to know Him. The Son who died to make us one and the spirit who lives within us to keep us one. And if we believe, if we believe that this is who he is and who he invites us to be, church, then we'll be ready. We'll be ready and willing and eager to reflect Christ's character in our attitudes and our actions with one another. And when we don't, because we've surely failed and we will again, when we don't, we'll be quick to confess our sins before God and each other to repent and to draw near to Him and to His bride once again. And as we do, we'll be one. So what does this mean? Here's what this means, I think, at least in part. It means you're loved here. It means you're loved among brothers and sisters in Christ. It means that when you're with your church family, it's safe. It's safe here. 
It's safe to be vulnerable with one another. Because we're committed to one another. We belong to one another. It's safe to be vulnerable among these people. For we're family in Jesus Christ. To be honest about hurts and pains, worries, opinions, and concerns. Because we're committed to Christ. And our shared position in Christ enables unity in the church. So I don't know particularly maybe how this applies to you, what this means specifically for you, how the Spirit might lead you, should lead you, should lead us to apply these truths to our lives today. But for some, perhaps you're not united to Christ. Maybe your position isn't in Christ. And you've heard this good news, this gospel message once again. We'll turn to Christ and receive His forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness and be reconciled. Be reconciled to God by His grace through your faith in Jesus. Be right with Him. Be adopted into His family. For some, it may mean turning to Christ. For others, perhaps it means getting right with a brother or sister in the family. Maybe it means apologizing. Maybe it means hugging a neck. Maybe it means loving another or lifting another up in prayer. Maybe it simply means acknowledging to God that He is trustworthy. That you trust Him and that you're ready and willing to step into community knowing that it will be challenging but that ultimately it's His will for you and it brings Him glory and for your good, for our good. I don't know what that means for you, but know that this is, this is a place where you're loved. This is a place where it's safe to share, to tear down barriers, to be vulnerable with each other, to love one another. And as we do, when we do, as the Lord leads us to do, you're tangibly expressing and portraying the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we do so for the glory of Jesus the one who has saved us. Oh, God, help us to do so. Father, help us to be one as you are one. Spirit, lead us, Lord, to be honest and transparent and vulnerable. Yes, with you first, Lord, crying out to you, but also transparent and vulnerable and committed to one another as your people. Father, we pray for one another in this way. We pray where there are heavy burdens that are being carried, Lord, that they would be laid before you. And Lord, that as your spirit leads, we would come alongside one another and that we would pray for each other, that we would be patient with one another and that we would lean on each other for the glory of Jesus and the good of his church in this community and to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that you would lead in that way. And so Lord, even now as we, as we praise you through song, as we confess sins in our own hearts, as we cry out to you, Lord, we pray that you would lead us, that your spirit would prompt us, that your name would be praised through our lips. Lord, do so now for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.